Chapter Nine of the Money Moon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Money Moon, a Romance by Geoffrey Farnell. Chapter Nine, in which may be found some description of Arcadia and gooseberries. Anthea, leaning on her rake in a shady corner of the five acre field, turned to watch Bellow, who, stripped to his shirt sleeves, bare of neck and arm, and pitchfork in hand, was busy tossing up great mounds of sweet-smelling hay to Adam, who stood upon a wagon to receive it, with small porges perched up beside him. A week had elapsed since Bellow had found his way to Dapplemere, a week which had only served to strengthen the bonds of affection between him and his nephew, and to win over sharp-eyed, shrewd little Miss Priscilla to the extent of declaring him to be— First, a gentleman, Aunt Thea, my dear, and secondly, what is much rarer nowadays, a true man. A week, and already he was hail-fellow well met with everyone about the place, for who was proof against his unaffected gaiety, his simple, easy, good fellowship? So he laughed and joked as he swung his pitchfork awkwardly enough, to be sure, and received all hints and directions as to its use, in the kindly spirit they were tendered. And Anthea, watching him from her shady corner, sighed once or twice, and catching herself so doing, stamped her foot at herself, and pulled her sunbonnet closer about her face. "'No, Adam,' he was saying, Depend upon it, there is nothing like exercise, and of all exercise, give me a pitchfork. <laughs> Why, as to that, Mr. Bellew, sir, Adam retorted, I say, so be it, so long as I ain't near the wrong end of it, for the way you do have a flourishin' and a whirlin' that there fork is fair astonishin', I do declare it be. Why, you see, Adam, there are some born with a leaning towards pitchforks, as there are others born to the pen and the uh, palate in things. But for me, Adam, the pitchfork every time, said Bellew, mopping his brow. If you was to try and handle it more as if it was a pitchfork now, Mr. Bellew, sir, suggested Adam, and not waiting for Bellew's laughing rejoinder, he chirruped to the horses, and the great wagon creaked away with its mountainous load, surmounted by Adam's grinning visage, and small Porges's golden curls, and followed by the rest of the merry-voiced haymakers. Now it was that, turning his head, Bellow espied Anthea watching him, whereupon he shouldered his fork, and, coming to where she sat upon a throne of hay, he sank down at her feet with a luxurious sigh. She had never seen him without a collar before, and now she could not but notice how round and white and powerful his neck was, and how the muscles bulged upon arm and shoulder, and how his hair curled in small damp rings upon his brow. "'It is good,' said he, looking up into the witching face above him. "'Yes, it is very good to see you idle just for once.' "'And I was thinking it was good to see you work, just for once.' "'Work!' he exclaimed. "'My dear Miss Anthea, I assure you I have become a positive glutton for work. It has become my earnest desire to plant things, and grow things, and chop things with axes, to mow things with scythes. 
I dream of pastures and ploughs, of pails and pitchforks by night, and by day reaping-hooks, hoes and rakes are in my thoughts continually, which all goes to show the effect of this wonderful air of Arcadia. Indeed, I am as full of suppressed energy these days as Adam is of the old Adam. And, talking of Adam, reminds me that he has solemnly pledged himself to initiate me into the mysteries of swinging a scythe to-morrow morning at five o'clock. Yes, indeed, my heart bounds responsive to the swish of a scythe in thick grass, and my soul sits enraptured upon a pitchfork. How ridiculous you are! she laughed. And how perfectly content! he added. "'Is anyone ever quite content?' she sighed, glancing down at him wistful-eyed. "'Not unless they have found Arcadia,' he answered. "'Have you, then?' "'Yes,' he nodded complacently. "'Oh, yes, I've found it. "'Are you sure?' "'Quite sure.' "'Arcadia,' she repeated, wrinkling her brows. "'What is Arcadia, and where?' "'Arcadia.' answered Bellew, watching the smoke rise up from his pipe with a dreamy eye. Arcadia is the the promised land, the land that everyone tries to find some time or other, and maybe anywhere. And how came you to find it? By the most fortunate chance in the world. Tell me, said Anthea, taking a wisp of hay and beginning to plait it in dexterous brown fingers. Tell me how you found it. Why, then, you must know, in the first place, he began in his slow, even voice, that it is a place I have sought for in all my wanderings, and I have been pretty far afield. But I sought it so long and so vainly that I began to think it was like the Eldorado of the old adventurers, and it never existed at all. Yes, said Anthea, busy with her plating. But one day— Fate, or chance, or destiny, or their benevolent spirit, sent a certain square-shouldered wagoner to show me the way, and, after him, a very small porges, bless him, to lead me into this wonderful Arcadia. Oh, I see, nodded Anthea, very intent upon her plating. But there is something more, said Bellew. Oh, said Anthea. Shall I tell you? If it is very interesting. Well, then, in this delightful land there is a castle, grim, embattled, and very strong. A castle? said Anthea, glancing up suddenly. The castle of heart's desire. Oh, said she, and gave all her attention to her plating again. And so, continued Bellew, I am waiting, very patiently, until, in her own good time, she who rules within shall open the gate to me, or bid me go away. Into Bella's voice had crept a thrill no one had ever heard before. He leaned nearer to her, and his dreamy eyes were keen now and eager. And she, though she saw nothing of all this, yet, being a woman, knew it was there, of course, and, for that very reason, looked resolutely away. Wherefore, once again, Bellew 
heartily wished that sunbonnets had never been invented. So there was silence, while Anthea stared away across the golden cornfields, yet saw nothing of them, and Bello looked upon those slender, capable fingers that had faltered in their plating and stopped. And thus, upon the silence, there broke a sudden voice shrill with interest. "'Go on, Uncle Porges. What about the dragons? Oh, please, go on. There's always dragons in chanted castles, you know, to guard the lovely princess. Aren't you going to have any dragons that hiss, you know, and spit out smoke and flames? Oh, do please have a dragon.' And small Porges appeared from the other side of the haymow, flushed and eager. "'Certainly, my Porges,' nodded Bellew, drawing the small figure down beside him. I was forgetting the dragons, but there they are, with scaly backs and iron claws spitting out sparks and flames, just as self-respecting dragons should, and roaring away like thunder. Ah! exclaimed small Porges, nestling closer to Bellew, and reaching out a hand to Auntie Anthea. That's fine! Let's have plenty of dragons! Do you think a uh, er, dozen would be enough, my Porges? Oh, yes, but suppose the beautiful princess didn't open the door. What would you do if you were really a wandering knight who was waiting patiently for it to open? What would you do then? Shin up a tree, my Porges. Oh, but that wouldn't be a bit right, would it, Auntie? Of course not, laughed Anthea. It would be most unknightlike and very undignified. Sides, added small Porges. You couldn't climb up a tree in your armor, you know. Then I'd make an awful good try at it, nodded Bellew. No, said Small Porges, shaking his head. Shall I tell you what you ought to do? Well, then, you draw your two-edged sword and dress your shield, like Gareth the kitchen knave did. He was always dressing his shield, and so was Lancelot. And you'd fight all those dragons and kill them, and cut their heads off. "'And then what would happen?' inquired Bellew. "'Why, then the lovely princess would open the gate and marry you, of course, "'and live happily ever after, and all would be revelry and joy.' "'Ah!' sighed Bellew. "'If she'd do that, I think I'd fight all the dragons that ever roared, "'and kill them, too. "'But supposing she, er, uh, wouldn't open the gate, why, then?' said Small Porges, wrinkling his brow. Why, then, you'd have to storm the castle, of course, and break open the gate and run off with the princess on your charger, if she was very beautiful, you know. A most excellent idea, my Porges. If I should happen to find myself in like circumstances, I'll surely take your advice. Now, as he spoke, Bellew glanced at Anthea and she at him, and straightway she blushed. And then she laughed, and then she blushed again, and, still blushing, rose to her feet and turned to find Mr. Cassilis within a yard of them. "'Ah, Miss Anthea,' said he, lifting his hat, "'I sent Georgie to find you, but it seems he forgot to mention that I was waiting.' "'I'm awful sorry, Mr. Cassilis, but Uncle Porges was telling us about dragons, you know,' Small Porges hastened to explain. "'Dragons!' repeated Mr. Cassilis, with his supercilious smile. "'Ah, indeed! Dragons should be interesting, especially in such a very quiet, shady nook as this. 
quite an idyllic place for story-telling. It's a positive shame to disturb you. And his sharp white teeth gleamed beneath his moustache as he spoke, and he tapped his riding-boot lightly with his hunting-crop as he fronted Bellew, who had risen and stood bare-armed, leaning upon his pitchfork. And, as in their first meeting, there was a mute antagonism in their look. "'Let me introduce you to each other,' said Anthea, conscious of this attitude. "'Mr. Cassilis of Brampton Court. Mr. Bellew. Of nowhere in particular, sir,' added Bellew. "'And pray,' said Mr. Cassilis perfunctorily, as they strolled on across the meadow, "'how do you like Dapplemere, Mr. Bellew?' "'Immensely, sir. Beyond all expression.' "'Yes, it is considered rather pretty, I believe.' "'Lovely, sir,' nodded Bellew, "'though it is not so much the beauty of the place itself "'that appeals to me so much as what it contains.' "'Oh, indeed,' said Mr. Cassilis, with a sudden sharp glance. "'To what do you refer?' "'Gooseberries, sir.' "'I, um, beg your pardon?' "'Sir,' said Bellew gravely, "'all my life I have fostered a secret passion for gooseberries.' raw or cooked in pie pudding or jam they are equally alluring unhappily the american gooseberry is but a hollow mockery at best ha said mr cassilis dubiously now in gooseberries as in everything else sir there is to be found the superlative the quintessence the ideal consequently i have roamed east and west and north and south in quest of it "'Really?' said Mr. Cassilis, stifling a yawn, and turning towards Miss Anthea with the very slightest shrug of his shoulders. "'And in Dapplemere,' concluded Bellew solemnly, "'I have at last found my ideal.' "'Gooseberry!' added Anthea with a laugh in her eyes. "'Arcadia being a land of ideals,' nodded Bellew. "'Ideals,' said Mr. Cassilis, caressing his moustache, "'ideals and uh, gooseberries, though probably excellent things in themselves, are apt to pall upon one in time. Personally, I find them equally insipid.' "'Of course it is all a matter of taste,' sighed Bellew. "'But,' Mr. Cassilis went on, fairly turning his back upon him, "'the subject I wished to discuss with you, Miss Anthea, was the—' uh, "'Approaching sail.' "'The sail,' she repeated, all the brightness dying out of her face. "'I wished,' said Cassilis, leaning nearer to her, and lowering his voice confidentially, "'to try to convince you how unnecessary it would be if—' And he paused significantly. Anthea turned quickly aside, as though to hide her mortification from Bellew's keen eyes, whereupon he, seeing it all, became straightway more dreamy than ever, and, laying a hand upon small Porges's shoulder, pointed with his pitchfork to where, at the other end of the five-acre, the haymakers worked away as merrily as ever. "'Come, my Porges,' said he, "'let us away and join yon happy throng.' and uh, with daphnis and chloe and blozabel we'll list to the er uh, cuckoo in the dell so hand in hand the two porges set off together 
But when they had gone some distance, Bella looked back, and then he saw that Anthea walked with her head averted, yet Cassilis walked close beside her, and stooped now and then, until the black moustache came very near the curl, that curl of wanton witchery that peeped above her ear. "'Uncle Porges, why do you frown so?' "'Frown, my Porges? Did I?' "'Well, I was thinking.' "'Well, I'm thinking, too. Only I don't frown, you know. But I'm thinking just the same.' "'And what might you be thinking, nephew?' "'Why, I was thinking that although you're so awful fond of gooseberries, and though there's lots of ripe ones on the bushes, I've never seen you eat a single one.' End of chapter 9